Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. When I was a child, one of my favorite games was called Spotlight. Spotlight is hide-and-go-seek with a flashlight. You run around in the dark, and you try to shoot your flashlight beam on someone, and in doing so, you find them or you tag them or they're now it. I grew up in a different era, obviously, where kids played on this in the neighborhood till late at night, especially in the summertime. Spotlight was a lot of fun. But when you're a leader, sometimes the spotlight can become tiresome. We are, as leaders, living in the spotlight, or if you like a different imagery, living in the fishbowl. And sometimes, Leading in the spotlight is not near as much fun as that children's game I just mentioned. Now, from a distance, the leadership spotlight looks inviting, but that's only to the uninitiated. To those of us who live in that context, we know it is often a painful experience. Now, this came to mind in a fresh way recently when Uh, a younger ministry leader was telling me about an incident with one of their children in which their child had to be taken out of a morning worship service in their church. And afterwards, of course, several people uh, felt it their responsibility to comment to this pastor about how he should be parenting and how they should be doing things differently and what they did when their kids acted up in church. And you get the idea. Well, this is just one example of what it's like to live in public, to parent in public, to be married in public, to speak, lead, teach, preach, and otherwise lead in public. People notice us, and they comment on so many things about our private lives. It's not just about parenting. It's also about things like uh, how you use your money. If you buy a new car, for example, be ready for the questions. People may ask you how much you paid and wonder how you can afford such a luxury. If you change your hairstyle or or dress, people will say, oh, you're trying to look more casual or you maybe you're having a midlife crisis or some other comment. And if you go on vacation, people will want to know are you go where you're going? Are you flying or driving? How long you're going to be gone? who's paying for it, and how on your minister's salary you can afford such extravagance. So whether you're parenting in public or going on vacation in public or doing something involving your ministry like preaching and teaching in public, living in the spotlight can be challenging. You know, it can be also disconcerting. If you're dealing with an illness or maybe a death in your family or among people that are very close to you, having to live through that personal trauma or that personal grief in public can be very draining. So today, let's talk about how to live and lead in the spotlight. What are some things we can do that will help us to manage these kinds of situations more effectively. And then after I speak generally about some principles that I think are helpful, I want to talk about two specific areas, parenting in the spotlight and financial management or financial decision-making in the spotlight. 
and see if I can say some particular things about those issues. Well, the first principle that I would uh, uh, advocate in terms of living in the spotlight is this. Accept the obvious reality that that's where you now live. The first thing with becoming more comfortable with the public nature of leadership is accepting the inevitably, uh, the inevitability, I should say, of your situation. To put it in a phrase, get over it. You may think it's not appropriate for so many people to know about or comment on every aspect of your life, but this won't change the situation. If you're a leader, uh, you've chosen to step into the spotlight. Get used to the glare. Stop whining about how bright it is and how unfair it seems, because doing so only reveals your immaturity and your inexperience as a leader. You know, my first experience of stepping onto a stage that was lit for television was disconcerting. I stepped up on a stage in front of thousands of people expecting to speak to them like I would a normal audience in the conferences or churches where I usually speak. But on this particular venue, the bright lights were so blinding that I couldn't see anything uh, past the first row of seating. And quite frankly, it, it knocked me off my game just for a minute because suddenly I was in a very uncomfortable situation. That's what it can feel like when you're thrust into the spotlight of leadership. It can feel uncomfortable. You may not have expected this much scrutiny or expected your family to be always on public display. You, you may not have fully understood that leadership is a public responsibility. And just like my first time stepping on that stage in front of those Klieg lights, you may feel the same sense of over, being overwhelmed. Being a leader means people are interested in your life, not just your professional life, but your personal life. And you may think you're going to create boundaries to separate your public life from your private life, but your followers won't see those boundaries as clearly as you would like them. And railing against this is simply counterproductive. Accept this reality. Your life as a leader will be lived on stage, in public, with many interested spectators. So it's essential that you develop the skills to thrive in this environment rather than waste energy complaining about it or wishing that it would change. As a leader, you have stepped forward and you want people to pay attention to your words and your ideas and your vision. That means you want them to notice you. You want them to pay attention to you. You want them to see you in the bright light of leadership that you've chosen to assume. Listen, the public aspect of leadership does not just come with the territory. <laughs> it is the territory. So the first principle about this matter of living in the spotlight is to accept the obvious, to accept the reality of it, not rail against it or be frustrated by it, but simply learn to deal with it. Which leads me to my second principle, and that is don't play to the crowd. Now, this takes two forms. 
Playing to the crowd can mean performing to please people, but it can also mean rejecting people and shunning the opportunity you have to lead by staying away from anything the crowd might think. Listen, don't play to the crowd. Primarily, though, I want to say that you can't play to the crowd because of something that I've created called the doctrine of the crowd. (laughs) Now, you won't find this in any systematic theology textbooks, but nevertheless, I think it's a real thing. The doctrine of the crowd can be summarized this way. Crowds are fickle. They can't be trusted, and they often believe the last voice they hear. Now, here's a good example from the Bible, Paul and Barnabas on their trip to a place called Lystra. Uh, The missionary team had had a rough time in Iconium. You can find that story in Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7, prior to arriving in Lystra. Uh, Their work had been fruitful, but ultimately had resulted in both the Jews and the Gentiles opposing them. And so when Paul and Barnabas learned of a plot to stone them, they fled Iconium and arrived in Lystra. Their ministry there opened with the remarkable healing of a lame man. And then it continued as the crowds responded with the Bible telling us this. The people declared, the gods have come down to us in the form of men. And they started to call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the main speaker. Again, you can find this in Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 11. The crowds saw Paul and Barnabas accomplishing miraculous ministry leadership in a very public setting, and they declared, they must be gods, (laughs) and tried to deify them. Paul and Barnabas called gods, receiving accolades. Who wouldn't prefer that kind of reception to being stoned, which was what happened in their last ministry venue? Be honest, wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> just wouldn't it be nice just for once for your followers to erupt in some kind of spontaneous, tumultuous applause celebrating your spiritual leadership? Well, that's what happened to those men that day. But look what happened next. If you continue reading in Acts chapter 14, you'll discover that. Paul and Barnabas tore their robes, signifying their grief and revealing their human bodies as they shouted, hey, wait, we're only men. And it says with great effort, they stopped the crowd from sacrificing to them. Now, you might think, oh, that's the end of that story, but not so. They moved on to the next ministry location, and the Bible then tells us, within a few days, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, And when they had won over the crowds in the new location, won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. The same crowds that had worshipped Paul and Barnabas were now whipped into a destructive frenzy. They stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, and left him for dead. The doctrine of the crowd. Fickle people easily influenced to impulsive action. Paul had been praised for his preaching, accompanied by the miracles, almost deified and made a god, until someone came along and turned the crowd in a different direction. 
and then they attacked these men they had formerly revered. The last voice they heard carried the day, and they wound up attacking Paul and Barnabas, stoning Paul, dragging him out by the city gates, and leaving him there for dead. Listen, when you lead in public, be careful not to trust the opinion of the crowd, good or bad, positive or negative. Never allow the crowd to control your behavior. Don't let them tell you how great you are and believe that. Don't let them tell you how evil you are and believe that. It's easy to be overly discouraged by critics or overly confident by the supporters. Either way, you're giving into the crowd mentality and you have to resist that temptation. The crowd is never a good source of appraisal on the effectiveness of your ministry leadership, and it is certainly not a source of satisfaction that should keep you going in ministry. So, first, to live in the spotlight and lead in the spotlight, accept the obvious reality. It is what it is. Second, don't succumb to the doctrine of the crowd. Find your satisfaction and ultimately your security somewhere else. Now, that leads us to the third principle, and that is develop security in Jesus Christ. Now, security is an essential quality for leaders. I've written about it in more detail if you want to read about it in The Character of Leadership, one of my books. The the desire, though, for security is not a sub-Christian desire. It's actually a good desire. God made every one of us with a basic desire and drive to feel secure. There's nothing wrong with wanting to feel that. The problem is trying to solve it in a destructive way. The, The solution isn't eradicating the feeling or the need to feel secure. The problem is seeking that security from the wrong source. Now, finding security is essential for you in ministry leadership so that you have the peace and the rest that you need to do your job. Security means you're comfortable in your own skin. You know who you are, and more importantly, whose you are. And having that peace with God and peace from God gives us peace within ourselves and the capacity to do our public leadership responsibility with a sense of security so that we are not swayed too much by the doctrine of the crowd. Now, this is significant for us because it has a theological uh, ground uh, framework or theological foundation. A basic doctrine of the Christian faith is the security of the believer. Now, when I first became a Christian and was introduced to this doctrine, I was introduced to it with a Baptist mantra, once saved, always saved. Now, that focused for me on eternity, meaning that once I came to faith in Jesus Christ now, I would always have salvation for eternity. And that is certainly true. But one of the most significant conversations I had as a young leader about this particular doctrine was with an older man who told me this one day. He said, Jeff, security of the believer means that you are as secure in Jesus Christ right 
now as you ever will be in the future. Man, that was a breakthrough thought for me. I had always known that someday when I died and went to heaven that I would be secured in my relationship with God and forever in eternity with him. But the security of the believer is not an after-you-die doctrine. It's a right-now-while-you-live doctrine. Security of the believer means once saved, which is right now, once I'm saved, I have eternal security in Jesus Christ, meaning I am as secure today in Jesus Christ as I will ever be in the future. Listen, the security of the believer is not some cold, sterile doctrine to be debated. It's a present spiritual reality to be enjoyed. Your security in Jesus Christ now and forever is the bedrock, the bedrock of maintaining your spiritual, emotional, and and psychological equilibrium or balance for public leadership. The security of the believer is essential for you as you lead in the spotlight. Now, let's just review a few basic things about this doctrine. First, it's God and Jesus who make you secure. In John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, Jesus promises No one is able to snatch my followers out of the Father's hand. And then he added that he and the Father are one. This imagery guarantees your secure relationship because you are secured in Jesus Christ and and Jesus Christ is secured in God. And since Jesus Christ and God are one, they are indivisible. They cannot be divided. Therefore, if they are one and you are captured and encompassed by them, You are eternally secure. It's so important to understand this. Security emerges from a relationship, your relationship with God, and it emerges from a relationship in which God has taken the initiative in the relationship to serve you by securing a relationship with you. Now, the security of the believer is not dependent on, on you securing your relationship with God. It's dependent on God securing his relationship with you. Man, what a fantastic reality that can be. Now, unfortunately, some leaders look for security in relationships but not in relationship with God. And because of that, they pander to the crowd or they chase after accolades or they serve in such a way to get those warm, fuzzy attaboys they need to give them a sense of well-being. And they do that to their detriment and sometimes to their disaster. A few years ago, I was working with a pastor who was compulsively committed to serving people in order to gain the strokes he needed, the accolades he needed, the attaboys he needed to feel good about himself and to stay active in leadership in ministry. Well, make a long story short, after years of this destructive behavior, his wife had enough and she left him for another man. You see, she also was looking for security in a relationship, and when she wasn't getting that in her relationship with her husband, 
Rather than seeking in a relationship with God, she, of course, turned to another man. But the real tragedy of this story is that this pastor lost his family and his ministry because he was so insecure that he had to pursue these ministry relationships at all costs. After his devastating set of circumstances settled in and we were doing the triage and the recovery, I asked him one time how it all happened, and he said, well, it was real simple. When the phone rang, I had to go. No matter what, no matter who, no matter when. And no matter what my wife said or my mentor said or what anyone else in my church thought, I had to go. And after being addicted to crowd approval for so long, it all came unraveled and I lost everything. Now, this couple had the right principle. Security comes from a relationship, but the wrong application. He was looking for security in relationships with the crowd. She was looking for security in relationship with a husband. Both wound up devastated. Now, when you find true security in a relationship with God, it resists all threats, including those threats that come at you because of your public leadership lifestyle. It resists turmoil and chaos and criticism. It resists social media attacks, personal vendettas, intense criticism, personal security in Jesus Christ stands up against all these threats. But it also gives you great freedom, great freedom to obey God and only him and not be swayed too much by these external circumstances. So here's what we've learned so far on the podcast. I want you to accept the reality that living in the spotlight makes you a public figure. Don't follow the doctrine of the crowd. Instead, seek security in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And then stick to your convictions in key areas, no matter what people say about how you're living those areas out in public. Two main areas I want to talk about now as we come to the last part of the podcast. It's essential that you establish convictions about parenting and stick by those convictions no matter who says what about what they observe you doing with your family in public. People will comment to you about your child-rearing style, your disciplinary uh, choices, about your children's dress and deportment and participation in various things. It's essential that you have convictions about parenting and stick with those and not find yourself responding in a -a whack-a-mole fashion where you are trying to deal with and respond to and satisfy every person who comments. So, for example, you need a mission statement as a parent. My wife and I had a simple one. Our missions, mission statement as parents was we're trying to produce emotionally stable, spiritually growing adults. And so 
Everything we did as parents was focused on creating emotionally healthy, spiritually growing adults, not emotionally healthy, spiritually growing 13-year-olds. So we didn't evaluate our parenting too soon until we reached adulthood and saw that we had finally and fully accomplished our goal. And when we made parenting decisions when our children were younger and even when they were teenagers, we made those decisions aiming them toward adulthood and what they needed to know or to do or to be to get there as emotionally healthy, spiritually growing adults. Now, this led us to all kinds of choices, which I don't have time to enumerate today on the podcast because this isn't a podcast so much about parenting as it is about having that mission, letting your convictions grow out of that mission about how you will parent each of your children individually, and then sticking by those convictions no matter what anyone says about you. And then in doing that, recognizing that you are never going to please everyone in your parenting style, but you can stick to the core convictions and practices that you've decided on and let and, and let those be your guide. Now, I'd say kind of the same thing about the use of money or resources. Now, what I mean by this is uh, the cars you buy, the vacations you take, the clothes you wear, the way you spend money and the lifestyle that you have as a result People are going to comment on that. And once again, you can't let those comments control or dictate what you do. You have to decide what are our, what's our mission about how we're going to use our resources. And then what's our understanding of stewardship and what that stewardship says to us about how we spend money on things like cars and clothes and vacations and such things as this. And then make your decisions based on those convictions. This can be confusing and difficult. Uh, on the one hand, uh, you may be reluctant, for example, to have a nicer car because you don't want people to think that you're uh, wasting money frivolously or living a life of luxury or having more than you should possibly or that you could possibly afford. But on the other hand, you may want a nicer car because if you don't have one, people may say, boy, why doesn't church pay you well enough that you can have a decent car? I mean, it, it looks bad. And so I, I hear these kinds of things from both sides. And you're going to have to have an understanding of your mission and some convictions about policies and procedures that are going to drive you on these things, and then just stick to those. Now, in parenting and finance, you have to develop these core convictions, stay, stay by them, and then move forward appropriately. Now, this leads me to one other important thing that I want to talk about in terms of doing all of this in public. One of the most important disciplines you will learn as you lead in public is that you are not responsible to comment on or respond to everything that anyone says to you about parenting and money or family or any other aspect of your personal life that is observable in public. Now, I used to be really bad at this. When people would say something to me, I felt like I had to give them an explanation, give them an answer, help them understand what was going on, give them a full picture. And I found myself constantly explaining myself to people who really didn't care what I had to say about it because they already had their mind made up. And I also found myself being frustrated because I was having to try to explain myself to people who really, in some cases, frankly, didn't know what they were talking about. But over the years, I've learned I am not obligated 
to respond to every comment. And so I've learned to say things like this. When someone makes a comment about something about my personal life, I will simply say, thank you. I'll take that under advisement. Or thank you. I'll give that some consideration. Or thank you. I'll, I'll pray about that and see what I think I should do. Or thank you. I'll talk that over with my wife and we'll see where we need to go with that. And that's it. Just stop talking. Once you've acknowledged someone in the conversation, just move on. Now, this is a very significant discipline that you have to develop as a leader. Because quite frankly, in our world today, people want to fire back on Twitter, shoot something out on Instagram, text somebody a quick uh, rebuttal. In a conversation, we want to come back with that quick-witted uh, thing that just uh, makes them look bad or feel bad and makes us look good or feel good. Get past all of that. Just get past all that. And learn that when you're in the spotlight as a leader and people make comments to you about your work or about your family or about your money or about your parenting or about your marriage or about anything that really is personal, you're not obligated to give them an explanation, make a response, or in any way justify the decisions you're making. Just simply say, appreciate the input. I'll give that some thought. Thank you for that idea. I'll think it over. And then walk away. And if it does have merit, give it a little thought. If not, think it over for about a nanosecond, dismiss it from your mind, and move on. Well, today we've talked about what it means to live in the spotlight, in the fishbowl, if you like a different analogy. If you're a leader, people are going to comment on everything from the kind of car you drive, the way you wear your hair, the clothes you have on, the money you spend on vacation. Every kind of thing is open for public conversation. How do you live in that milieu? Accept the reality of that's the way it's going to be. Don't pander to the crowd or be overly influenced by what they say, good or bad. Develop security in Jesus Christ and recognize that in that relationship you have all the security you need. And then, lay out your convictions in these key areas of life and live by those convictions. And finally, don't feel obligated to explain yourself to anyone. Give a kind response. Thank you for your input. Give an indication. You'll at least think about it. Thank you for your input. I'll give that some thought. And then move on. Recognizing that sometimes when people say things to you, there is a need for us to reflect on it and improve in some certain area. But most of the time, when people make these comments directed toward us or our families or our ministries or our finances or something personal about us, we just need to acknowledge it and then move on because it's likely they don't have an information base from which they could make an, a, a, an insightful comment. And we just need to recognize that and let it be and move on. Life in the spotlight is part of what it means to be a leader. You can thrive there as you lead on.